In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I am on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome to Die Stars Tomorrow. I'm your host, Aileen. Today I am really excited to be joined by Logan Aldridge, Peloton's first adaptive training coach. Logan teaches strength classes at Peloton and has helped to make fitness more accessible for people of all physical abilities. Logan lost his left arm in an accident when he was a kid and since then has made it his life goal to make fitness more accessible to everyone. He's also the 2019 world champion for adaptive upper division and holds two Guinness world records. So today we're going to be talking about how the wellness industry can be more inclusive of all abilities. Welcome to DST Logan. Thank you, Aileen. What a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to meet you. Honored to be on the podcast. I've listened to a few episodes in the past. So when I heard you all reach out, I was uh, honored, excited, eager. (laughs) <laughs> well, here we are. Here yeah, we are. I'm excited to get to know you, Logan. So tell me, tell all of our DSTers, where are you from? How did you become you? What's, what's oh, the deal? Oh, this is a can of worms, <laughs> Aileen. Uh, you, I could talk for the next hour. You don't have to say anything else. Uh, That's great. I, goodness, where do I begin? Yeah, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, have an older brother, a couple years older than me, and at, at a very, very young age, Activity, fitness, mm-hmm. um, exercise, sports um, were very. Int- I was very interested in it. I was very interested in seeing what I was capable of. I was really fascinated with extreme sports. I really okay. liked how you could be, you could implement your own style, do things a little bit different, and kind of just the mentality of like a rebellious culture. Right. You know, like skateboarders getting kicked out of places when you shouldn't be skateboarding <laughs> there, and surfers surfing and it, that that whole mentality of like the board sports was something I was in love with at a young age really liked being a little bit of a, a rebel a little bit of a daredevil right. applying that to athletics and fitness and bringing that all together kind of my background growing up so you were always into fitness but you liked like the activity but you know yeah exactly like the fun part like the thrill I was not like a, you know, go to the gym at a young age right, type right, of kid. Right. I just wanted to You're not go, on the elliptical. Go, go. No, <laughs> my grandmother would always say that, you know, like having family dinners and stuff like that. Like I would sit down at a family dinner and take like one bite of steak or something. And be like, Am I good? Are we done? Am I <laughs> yeah. done? Can right. I go back outside now? I right. eat to live. I don't live to eat. It's always uh-huh. what she said. That's really funny. Yeah. So you're from rally, but okay. So you share that you had an accident early in life. And then that propelled you even forward to where you are today. 
Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Do you feel comfortable saying what happened? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. I can go into very specific detail. I can explain everything. Uh, I, I love to explain this. And frankly, it always makes sense. You know, this is the elephant in the room. This is the biggest question to address. You know, mm-hmm. I, I look different. If you saw me, if you look at my Instagram, you're like, oh, he doesn't, his left arm is missing above his elbow. You wonder how that happened. A lot of folks, um, when they bring no attention to it and it seems like no big deal, yeah, I often forget that other people may be curious. Uh, it's so it's so natural, and normal, and a part of who I am. Yeah, I forget that it's a curiosity of others, but uh, I encourage that curiosity. I'm never deterred, or I'm never like, well, I've told this story a thousand times. I really mm-hmm. don't want to say it again. Not at all. I think that's a part of the responsibility of someone who is trying to empower others and trying to get people to be comfortable in their skin and who they are is recognized that by sharing this story, uh, you never know the, the, the person it could impact, uh, the individual who's feeling alone and like there's no one that can relate, uh, how it might be able to connect some dots and, and give you the ability to relate and connect. So yeah, uh, let me explain. I, yeah. um, I lost my arm when I was 13 years old in a boating accident and the growing up in North Carolina, we spent a lot of time at a lake near, North Carolina, Virginia border called Lake Gaston. Uh, we had a lake house there. Family had a lake house there. So I spent a lot of time. My parents were both recreational competitive water skiers. My dad really liked to slalom ski and my mom liked to drive the boat and pull him. Um, so we had a nice ski boat. And at that young age of like nine, 10, I saw for the first time wakeboarding, which was, you know, like being basically like on a snowboard where you're jumping the waves behind the boat, holding on to a uh, ski handle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you want to do flips and tricks and spins and all that stuff. And I remember um, the first time I saw someone do that riding past our dock, going down our cove, and I was just in awe. My jaw dropped. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I had no idea you could get air behind the boat. I thought you just skied left and right, you know, cut across yeah. like everyone. So I was in awe and fell in love with the uh, idea of wakeboarding. So my parents recognized I was very interested and passionate. And so I got a, a board, started riding with a professional on the on the lake, getting some lessons uh, and became obsessed, obsessed in a way that I really enjoyed it. It was fun to do recreationally, but I really wanted to become who like this pro was to me, a professional wakeboarder and compete and travel. I just felt like it was the perfect upbringing with the, having this lake house and this opportunity. So I dedicated myself to training, uh, putting together like sets and trying to become a competitive wakeboarder. So oh, wow. um, the summer of 2004, uh, I was 13 years old and I'm out on the lake on a Saturday afternoon, evening, that's when the water is the best. It gets real glassy and calm and you can <laughs> ride so right before the sun goes down. So I just went out for an evening um, session with a friend of mine who just lived about five docks down from where I did in the cove that we lived in. Mm-hmm. He's a few years older. Uh, and pretty experienced, uh, good wakeboarder. So I was learning from him as we were friends and uh, riding together with family on the boat. So we just finished riding. We dropped him off at his dock and we push off the dock. And, you know, we just have like five docks to go, just maybe 50 yards or so. Um, and so we just put the boat in gear. My dad's driving the boat. Mom's on the boat. Uh, dropped him off, waved goodbye to him. And I start putting away the life jackets and tidying up the boat after we finished our wakeboarding sessions for the day. And I started to wind up the rope. And I used that technique that we might use with like an extension cord or uh, maybe even a garden hose or something where you're looping this, like you're holding your arm at like a 90 degree and looping that rope over the thumb, under the elbow. Yeah, just like that. 
So I had a couple loops like that around my left arm, over my thumb, under my elbow, elbow. And then with the end of the rope being connected to that tower and the other end just out in the water, uh, what we didn't realize, what I didn't realize in the moment when I had those two loops around my left arm was that when we pushed off the dock of my friend's dock, we drifted a little bit over that rope. So when we put it in gear and started putting forward. That rope, I think, began to coil around the propeller, which is up underneath the boat. Wow. So it was just this moment where in my mind and in my vision, as I looked back and see the rope out the back of the boat, and I see that it is curled a little bit over the back platform of the boat, which happens sometimes when you might be being exactly like this, a little bit careless in the mm -hmm. moment, um, but thought nothing of it. it. There's a lot of like little things back there that the rope can kind of get caught on. You just have to unpull it and it pulls out. So I didn't think anything of it, but I still immediately saw it and turned to my dad and said, dad, the rope's underneath the boat. As soon as I said that, he cut off the motor because wanted to be safe, make sure yeah. that we manage getting the rope out from underneath, whatever it might be caught on back there. So, but as soon as I said those words and he went to turn off that propeller, something about the coincidence of timing, it all happened in that 10th of a second, in that moment of dad, rope's underneath the boat. Okay, I'll turn it off. As soon as he went to turn it off, that propeller did catch that rope that was drifted underneath the back. And it caused, caused that rope to coil around that prop. As you can imagine, these props are spinning really, really fast. So it coiled really quickly and tightly, um, which then resulted in that, that slack in the rope in between the end point on uh -huh. the tower and the coil around the propeller. The only thing in between was my arm with a couple loops around it. So it immediately slipped off of the thumb, kind of, kind of collapsed my wrist and slipped off my thumb yeah. in that big loop became really small, really quick around my upper arm above my elbow, around my bicep and tricep. Um, and, you know, without getting too graphic, but painting an appropriate picture, uh, it cut through all the flesh and muscles and tendons down to the bone. So yeah. all of a sudden, within an instant, a little bit of a jerk, I'm still standing there on the back of the boat. Um, and it now looks like the rope is coming, going inside the inside of my arm and just coming out the outside of my arm. Jeez. It looked kind of weird, it looked wild. And my arm is just kind of laid out straight, just hanging right, there. Right. And so, yes, that's the moment when I say, I'm like, what just happened? My mother's sitting in the front of the boat, says to my dad, Wesley, his arm, he steps over just like the four feet he is away from me, um, begins, grabs one end of that rope, begins to unwind it around my arm. As soon as he does so, as you can imagine, the right. amount of blood, it was all the artery that pumps right from your heart down into your left arm was severed. So, uh, as soon as he unwound that rope, blood loss was massive. Ma mm -hmm. We were on a 21-foot white boat uh, in the bow to the stern, the front to the end, yeah, as yeah. he unwound that rope uh, became red. It was like a Quentin Tarantino movie. It was like it, sh it, just, it just shot. It, sh right. it was crazy. It was crazy. And this was the moment, honestly, where I was like, oh, shit, something bad, something really bad has just happened. Yeah. I had no pain. I, had, I was going to ask you, did you feel it? Not no. at all. Not at all. Just wow. a weird little jerk sensation. Uh, and then frankly, numbness uh, in, right. in terms of anything. It was just a numbness, a feeling of like my left arm is here, but all of a sudden now it feels kind of weird. It just feels strange. Like right. it's there. I see it. I see right where it is and I feel it. But like when I touch it, it's numb. Like there's nothing there because mm -hmm. everything was severed. The nerves, all that was severed in that initial so when my dad unwound that rope, uh, what saved my life was what he did in the next few seconds was rip off his shirt, wrap his shirt around my arm, you know, tie right. a knot, create a very, a very tight tourniquet. 
Uh, had he not done that, I would have bled out in just a few a few minutes. Oh my god! Uh, so that was that was the state we were in. We we pull up to the dock. You know, parents are freaking out. We had some family friends on the boat too, so it's a little bit chaotic with them. My friend who we had dropped off at his dock, he's running up his his uh, sidewalk to the boathouse to call an, an ambulance to right. figure out what to do. This lake where we were is kind of the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, hindsight probably should have just jumped in the car and driven to a hospital, but we were nervous. We didn't know what to do. We sat and waited. Yeah. We got to, we got to our dock and I remember I couldn't believe that. Like I knew, you know, at that age as well, at any age, frankly, um, you're not ready for a massive unexpected event like that. You're never ready. It's never like, okay, now's the time to throw me a real curveball. you know, throw me a challenge. I'm ready for it. Never happens that way. So at 13, I'm like, no, there's no way this is happening. This is absolute, like, we're supposed to have dinner tonight. Like, I'm mm-hmm. supposed to ride again in the morning. Like, there's no way this is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my mind, I was justifying that. I was like, wow, this is the wildest, wildest dream I'm having. This dream mm-hmm. is so real. Like, everything feels real. And that's what I was telling myself in my head as we pulled up to the dock. I was like, this is just a nightmare. This is a crazy, vivid nightmare. Wow. And I told my dad, I was like, dad, just carry me up to the house, bring me into my bedroom. And if I see myself sleeping, I'll wake up from this ridiculous nightmare. That was my way of not accepting, not willing in the moment to accept the reality uh, of this situation and still look for some way to justify this isn't actually happening. To understand what was happening. Right, right. So he took, he said, I I promise. He said, Logan, I'm so sorry, but okay, I'll show you. And he showed me and I recognized that I wasn't in that bed. And I thought to myself, wow, this is really happening today. This is actually happening. Because it was like a true accident. That was that what it was. just happened in a split second. Couldn't there change anything about no it. No preparation for that. No. And so, you know, then we wait for the ambulance. Takes about an hour for them to get there. Uh, a long time of anticipation, wondering what if, what's going on. My arm, why does it, it's laying in my lap, but why does it feel like it's laying out? on the side, like when right. I, now I'm like, not, I'm not aware of where my arm actually is. So I'm like, this is strange. So we get in that ambulance, and my mom gets in with me. And this is really what shaped my entire outlook, my entire perspective mm-hmm. on um, this accident and it being frankly, the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was in that ambulance ride, that initial ambulance ride, when I asked my mom, started to contemplate the, the reality of this situation and what mm-hmm. the outcome might be. What's going to happen? Am I going to live? Am I going to die still? Like maybe, am, am I, is this infected? Is something going to go wrong? Is my arm going to be amputated? And that's the question I asked my mom. I said, mom, what if I lose my arm? Because yeah. uh, I was also left-handed and not feeling the arm and being very active and wakeboarding and lacrosse and a few other sports. Uh, it was just, it was shocking to consider what if, what if I actually lose my left arm? Uh, and my mom, without skipping a beat, uh, you know, said what was the most profound statement to me and one I carry with me to this day and talk a lot about on the Peloton platform. As she said, Logan, it's just an arm. A uh, very simple statement. And I don't think it was her way to be uh, dismissive, right. dismissive of yeah. it at all. It was actually her way, I think, to cope with her son, this unexpected event, her stress, her anxiety mm-hmm. that's going on and not letting that show, not letting that... Di- passed on to me her worry and concern instead she said let's just you're alive it's just a freaking arm whatever it's an arm we can figure that out later just stay alive stay alive that immediately 
gives me goosebumps. Every time yeah. I tell this part of the story, it gives me goosebumps. And I've told this thousands of times because that moment, I can still go back there. I can be there right when that happened. Mm-hmm. I, and that's why I say it because it immediately tr- changes the way my brain is operating, how I'm thinking. How, I immediately yeah, go from a stressful, what is going to happen? This, the future is uncertain. How do we know what's up? It's just an arm. I say that statement and I go, wow, wow glad to be alive. Sure, I'm mm-hmm. glad to be alive. It's just, it, it triggers this uh, perspective of gratitude. It triggers this outlook into the world where I, I'm grateful for the abundance of life, the fact that we get to live. Uh, and so that moment was a defining moment. And in the moment, I didn't know how defining it was. It just was like, a, wow, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, mom, you're right. If I just stay alive, that'll be great here. Um, and then that's that, 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 that just became a mantra, became a statement that embodied everything that I wanted to become after, how I wanted to look back on this event, um, not as a tragic, unfortunate incident, but instead uh, something that ended up being the best thing that I could, could have ever happened to me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's how it happened. It went on from there. We went to a local community hospital. They were like, we have no idea how to manage this injury. Uh, UNC Children's Hospital uh, had a Tar Heel One helicopter, medevac helicopter in the air. They flew out to a field out in the middle of Virginia and I got back in the ambulance and they, it was, this was like a scene out of a movie. This was the coolest part of it all. I yeah. literally remember talking to the EMS and being like, and, and we, we got to this field, rode in a cornfield. They opened the doors and I see this badass helicopter come swooping around and landing. And I look at the EMS and I go, is that for me? I was about to say, like, I bet that's what you were thinking. Is that for me? Hell yeah. I was like, this is so cool. And they're like, yeah, that's for you, Logan. You're going in that right now. Um, so we did. Yeah. And they flew me to UNC Children's Hospital where uh, I was truly treated like family. Uh, wow. Incredible experience. Uh, in the amenities, the structure, how the physicians, the doctors, the nurses, everyone, what they wear, what the facility looks like, how it makes you feel like these are humans, these are people, these are family members that care about you, uh, made such a big impact on it throughout the, all, all the uncertainty through the moments of me being like, I don't, am I going to keep my arm? Is my arm going to be amputated? Uh, what's, what's happening? So they spoke to my parents and d- determined the amputation above the elbow was the best option. Uh, and I was left-handed. So I think that's what weighed heavily on the doctors and my parents of this big concern and, and this, this, this expectation of, wow, what is life going to be like when you use your non-dominant arm? And to be honest, frankly, like I thought this was the silliest consideration <laughs> for people. I thought like even at 13, yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you're right. Yes, this, the left, I prefer the left one. I would prefer to keep the left yeah. hand. I'm pretty good with it. But like, I could figure out the right hand. I'm not, I don't look at the right hand and be like, oh, this is a foreign appendage. I have no idea right. how this will ever work. I've just, I thought it was so silly. And um, that leads me to, and I know you probably have a question, but I'm sorry, I'll <laughs> shut up here in a second. No, thank you for sharing that story in detail. I like, yeah. that sounds traumatic in the moment, but I assume that like in that moment when you were saying like, that's so silly that they're caring about whether I'm left-handed, like, why can't I do that? Because you are, you are so attracted to like extreme situations, extreme sports. So like, there's nothing I can't not do. So like writing with my right hand, that's not a, that's not a factor here. No, you're right. You're right. And it, and it wasn't from like a place of like, uh, cockiness or even confidence, frankly, it was just like, I don't know. I, I really believe, 
all of this, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. I believe I was meant to lose my left arm. I was meant to lose my dominant arm. This mm-hmm. was a big part of my play, whatever you want to call it, a God, a higher power, something like this is meant to happen to me because that interpretation, that expectation, that thought of like, oh no, the dominant arm is gone. How will I fix? That doesn't even compute in my brain. It mm-hmm. doesn't even, there's not even a possible route where the my brain went, how am I going to figure out how to do it with my right hand? It wasn't that. It was right. just it was it was just this complete understanding that oh, I'm going to relearn now. I'm yeah. just going to. I'm only 13 years old. Been on this planet for only 13 years. Hopefully, I, I have many more years, double, triple that rate in terms of my my lifetime yeah. spent on this planet after with with one arm. So I thought to myself why be so short sighted and think that this would be a difficult thing to pursue? And that sort of opened my eyes to what would become, uh, I think the biggest perspective of anyone living with a varying ability, anyone living Mm. who looks a little bit different on the outside when you see them first impression. And that was expectations. I was really starting to understand while in the hospital, I was really starting to compute in my brain, like, Oh, these doctors are telling my parents who are telling my teachers at my school, Logan lost his left arm. He was left-handed. Writing is going to be very hard. He probably won't be able to do it for a very long time. It'd be great. Now, remember, this is 2004 and we weren't really doing laptops in the whole classroom sort of thing. Um, But they were like, it'd be great if he had a laptop so he could start to learn how to type one-handed. Writing, we don't know if he'll ever get there. And if so... We don't want that to be the limiting factor of his education because he cannot write efficiently. Mm -hmm. So let's get him note takers in all of his classes as well so that he can just be attentive, observe, maybe try to type if he can, and then receive the notes after class. I was grateful. I was grateful that there was this level of consideration Mm -hmm. uh, in order to create a safe, supportive environment for me in school. Really appreciated that. But I was shocked that the, this level of an expectation was being placed on me and my ability, what I could do, and really what I thought about me accomplishing certain tasks, developing new skills with one arm, my right arm. So through that experience, it, had I just accepted, which I didn't, ultimately what ended up happening, I went to school and I told the note takers, I was like, hey, don't worry, you don't have to give me any notes. I'll figure yeah. this out. I'm going into eighth grade, like, what's it really matter? I'm going to figure it out. No, no, not to say the eighth grade doesn't matter, but I was just like, this for me is a learning year. This is just like figuring out how to absorb information, put it down. How do I write things like that? So I, uh, I told him not to take notes, not take notes for me and I'll just figure it out. And that's all it took. It took like two weeks of having to write with your uh, opposite hand. And when it's the only option, when there is no other choice, your determination and willingness to persevere becomes far greater. And I think that's my life's ex- story is that I, I saw I saw no other way. I saw no other option. I, w- I was going to do the things I did with two arms with one. I was going to figure it out. If I had a mentor and someone to look at and look up to, uh, to guide me there, fantastic, mm-hmm. phenomenal. I'm so grateful and lucky to have that. But if I didn't, that's quite all right too. Mm-hmm. That's an exciting opportunity. That's uncharted territory of like, curiosity and uh, solution-based thinking to come up with how to do things differently that still work for me. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. 
smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge, and it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens, and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages, and you scoop it, and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties, and they j'adore it. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. I want to ask, is there any point, though, before you got to the conclusion, like, I could just figure it out, like, was there a point where you were afraid, like, of all the things that I can't do, I'm going to be different now? Like, was there any point where you were thinking that, like, people might treat me differently? Or were you just like shit happens, I'm going to make life even better? No, that's a great question. Um, because yes, yes, there was uh, a moment of of real fear mm-hmm. and grief. And um, this is important to speak to because um, all it was was a moment. It was literally like a 15-minute session while in the pediatric ICU with my mom in the room with me. I think maybe late at night, I'm sure I'm all drugged up or something, yeah. but we're sitting there reading. And this is, you know, at the time, this is like before Facebook. So we were using uh, carepages.com, which is like <laughs> a, a way to, you know, have like a, a page to be up to date with what's going on with a patient or someone. So um, 
uh, actually a teacher from my school and a couple students, uh, friends of my brother, made that care page uh, and they were updating it. And this evening, my mom and I just sat around and just read a lot of the comments, the posts. Uh, and that was triggered by we sat down to do that because I had stood up previously to go to the bathroom and I saw myself in the in the mirror, I saw my figure in the mirror after the amputation. Um, and I was, I was like, who the hell is that? Like what, what I, my whole life have been very fortunate, very privileged, been surrounded by endless opportunity. And I'm sure had a judge judging perspective on people with disabilities, people that didn't look like me or weren't able-bodied. And now I saw myself here. I am. I am one of those people. I am one of those people that I used to say to my brother, like, hey, look at that. That guy doesn't have an arm. Hey, mm-hmm. look at that. They, they're missing their leg. Now I'm one of those people. And I was so afraid of being viewed as like some freak, some person that isn't normal anymore and is kind of brushed to the side or kind of just not given the opportunity to pursue uh who they are and what they want and who they want to be. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I just couldn't believe that I was now uh, the type of person that I, in my, in my past as a young kid, um, didn't not thought so little of, but just didn't think had the opportunities that I was going to have in life. Mm-hmm. Did, didn't have the ability or just the, the opportunity to do the things that I was going to have in my life. And uh, I wasn't okay with that, but I didn't ever realize that this was going to be uh, a perspective shift that I was going to have the opportunity to uh, hopefully help reshape. And now I found myself standing there being like, holy shit, I am now one of them. And Mm -hmm. I, and I don't know what this means. I don't know what my future looks like. Uh, And so I spent as I sat down on the bed, really afraid of, how girls, honestly, at 13 years old, I was like so worried about girls. I'm like, I'm never, never going to get a kiss. Oh my God. I was terrified. Uh, really upset about that. And, and my peers, my friends, like, you know, I'm very active and I was always before like very competitive and very active. So I was like, I want to still play sports, do all the things. Like what is going to happen? How are my friends going to see me? Are they going to start like holding doors open for me? Cause I'm like yeah. holding a drink or something. Like, I don't want that. I, like, I'll figure it out. Let me figure it out. So I was so afraid. And so as we sat down to read through these, this care page, uh, website, um, we just cried. We just cried. I cried, um, because of the loss of the arm. I cried because I, I would think about moments of like, well, what if this didn't happen? Like, what yeah. could I have been? Who could I have become? Like, and then I cried because what 13 year old boy gets to read a note from one of their closest friends that says that they love you uh, from another 13 year old boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cried from joy while I cried from grief. I cried because I saw love and humanity from friends where we were just boys that were meant to just be like, Hey dude, yeah, yeah I bet I can jump higher than you. <laughs> and now they're telling me they love me and they're here for me and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. They're happy that I'm here. Uh, so what a gift that was. 
and also what a scary state of mind that was for me to be in mm-hmm. for that time. Because uh, that was the only moment where I said, what was me? Where I said, why did this happen to me? Like, what that, like, this wasn't meant to be my path. And at the end of that 15 minutes, when the messages from all of the people were really starting to hit home more so than my perspective on what this future might be with one arm, um, I looked to my mom and we wiped away the tears and we were like, that's it. That's, that's the 15 minutes we both needed to be mad about it, to say whatever you want to say. Um, but now there's no going back. There's no change in the past. So this is what it is. This is how I am. Uh, let's make the most of it. Let's move forward and let's never go back to that state. Yeah. Let's never think that way. If you need to, that's all right. But like, I'm going to intentionally try to never let, cause it's just, it's a waste of, it's a waste of time, you know, mm-hmm. worrying about that. This is what it is now is how, this is how I am. Um, so it's just we, an arm. Like, it's just an arm. It's just an arm. And if we decide to see the opportunity and the positive, that, that, that that's perspective. That's how we dictate the, our outlook in, in the future and how this yeah. unfolds. So that's that's the moment we had there, um, and that's how I moved on from that. I had so many friends coming to visit me in the hospital. Now all of a sudden, pediatric ICU turned into like a Logan's playroom. I mean, <laughs> we were just running around all over the place having fun. My yeah. brother, my brother would freak out all the nurses. He would take a urine cup. <laughs> and pour apple juice in it and walk around drinking it and people would they would be freaking we were 13. out <laughs> we were yes we you know this whole rebels we were, year old thing. Boy. <laughs> we, were, we were doing it we were doing it yeah so anyways that's yeah that was a, a huge moment for me and really the only time since that i was sad mad allowed yeah. myself to, to grieve with my mom uh and then and then move on say that was important to go through it would be an unturned stone that would need to be talked yeah. about and discovered had i be had i been still to this day never having gone through that point of of you grief process that yeah. yeah for sure Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I want to say it's inspiring, but I've heard you say that you don't want to inspire people and that well, you want to motivate people. You're right. You've done your homework. I really appreciate that. I have. Uh, <laughs> but what I really want to ask is like, okay, so you before this is that you wanted to train as a wakeboarder, right? Like that was what you wanted to do. So now, you know, life is different. You realize, okay, now I move forward. And now fast forward to, you know, today you are a fit, like you're fitness strength, like you have world records, like how did you get to that place and, you know, what was driving you and, you know, how do you motivate people, especially in the adaptive fitness world? Yeah. I mean, thank you for bringing that up. Great question. And, Mm -hmm. and I, uh, on that context of inspiring versus motivating, I am by no means like not wanting to inspire someone, but I think it, I think we use that term a lot, especially when looking at active amputees, doing things in the fitness space, inspiring, inspiring. It's used a lot and I appreciate it. It's great. It's the first step to 
creating uh, change, helping someone discover uh, the potential and ability that they, they may have in whatever, physical fitness, professional, personal life, whatever. Inspiring is great. Um, but yeah, I want to motivate people because I believe that's sort of the statement I have around inspiring versus motivating. I believe inspiring, uh, we can be inspired sitting on the couch and then continue to sit on the couch, no problem. And you can, yeah. be, you can be 100% inspired, but not have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe motivation is that next step. And motivation, inspire, inspiration pulls you in and motivation like keeps you coming back, keeps you there. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to do is do that. I want to keep people coming back, pursuing their better version of themselves, choosing to do tough stuff, working through difficult situations. That's motivating for me. That's motivation because you're mm-hmm. ready to take action and instill some change. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, gosh, what I've been able to do with fitness uh, and my pursuit in fitness, um, God, I mean, it wasn't really planned. <laughs> like it really wasn't like this kind of just happened in, in the way of not that like I am very lucky. I'm very fortunate, but um, it happened. Uh, the driving factor was curiosity, constant, constant curiosity. And frankly, the best example I can give is Forrest Gump in the sense of <laughs> running. Like what is that? In the way that he runs and in the way that I think about running, I think about Forrest Gump in the sense that in anything in life, the curiosity is what keeps you moving forward. We all know, or I believe I really understood what happens when you stop. What happens when you stop running, for example, then your your heart rate starts to come down, your respiratory rate comes back down, you recover, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Even if in that moment when you're running, there's a voice in your head telling you like, Everything's not fine. I'm breathing so hard. I'm, my stomach's cramping. Things are not going well. Everything will be okay. But what I find fascinating is when we think we can only go five more seconds, what if we go 10 more? If we think we can only do five more reps, what if we do six or seven or eight mm-hmm. or keep going? Um, I just find this, I'm just so interested in pushing through barriers of perceived uh, limitation or perceived exertion. I'm so curious within that world. Uh, so that comes to like my background with like performance training, trying to yeah. compete in, in fitness, use fitness as a way to excel and never be complacent or accept your form, your technique or your volume or what you can do currently. There's always a lens of uh, improvement, uh, how to be better, how to chase excellence in all the things that you're trying to do in fitness, not just the weights you lift or how fast you can run, but the form of your air squat, how good is that form? Like the form of your push up. How can yeah. we, how can we perfect it a little bit more? These are the levels of excellence I try to apply to fitness and my journey in fitness uh, after losing my arm. And through doing that, I, I was sort of intrigued and fascinated through this lens of curiosity of considering um, other other conditions, other abilities, and how they would look at fitness. Because I used fitness as a, as a means to enable me to do activities one arm. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it was. After coming out of the hospital, it wasn't like, okay, I want to compete in fitness. I want to be a fitness person. I love fitness. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't have an exercise science background. I don't like, I didn't go to school for, for fitness. I, it's all self-taught. It's all learned out of asking uh, exploratory questions, having conversations that uh, provoke curiosity and um, cover subjects that aren't really uh, found in just the exercise science material. And that's this population. It's how do we think about 
movement for people with varying abilities. And I think that's through the lens of when I first got out of the hospital, the perception I wanted to have, perspective I wanted to have on um, missing an arm was it's not a big deal. It's not that bad. Not only is the it's just an arm mentality and statement remind me of that, but the first uh, about first week or two out of the hospital, I pretended getting out of bed, waking up in the morning, I pretended like I had also lost a leg because it created abundance and gratitude for the fact that I have both of my legs. There was this mm-hmm. weird consideration, and this is a fun one amongst amputees to discuss, but it's like, would you rather lose an arm or a leg? It's a really fun question to go down the rabbit hole of mm-hmm. uh, with fellow amputees, to be honest. <laughs> and I found myself asking this question while I was even in the hospital. And I used that sort of as a tool to make me appreciate that I had only lost an arm. It's just an arm. Right. Had it been an arm and a leg? Had it been three limbs? Had it been, you know, I started to read stories. I started to discover uh, combat wounded amputees that lost all four limbs. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like I, I have nothing to complain about. So it was through that lens where I started to find gratitude in my own life and how this is no big deal. Losing an arm is no big deal. But then I started once I was pursuing fitness and curious, curious and fitness, I did the same thing. I yeah. thought, here's the solution for one arm version of these movements and how to achieve the appropriate like response and stimulus. Like if I can do a one arm pushup, that's great. But what is the intention of pushups for people? How can I get that same amount of volume with one arm? Was there anyone helping you adapt to the changes you need to make like for balance for all of that? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there I had, you know, friends in the gym setting who would be like, well, what if, what if we did this? Or what if you tried this through observation and looking at me? But frankly, I was, I was obsessed with it and I filmed everything I did. So I would watch Uh all this footage. I would, I would study my body, look at my body. And I was very aware of the imbalances that I had created over the years, all throughout college. Um, I was training heavy, lifting heavy weights. I was under the mentality of like being a bodybuilder. I was like, if I'm going to have one arm, this one arm's going to be bigger than everybody's two arms. arms I wanted to be huge, huge, you know, (laughs) not a good idea. And I could not get this arm that big, but that was like the mentality in college. Mm -hmm. I "I just want to be massive. Uh, and then after college is where I was really like, how can I be as fit as possible? It wasn't about the size. It wasn't about having big muscles. I was like, I want to be willing to say yes, to do any physical activity. If I want to go run a half marathon, if I want to go sprint 100 meters, want to go lift really heavy weights, go do some really fun race, I want to be able to say yes and just do them. Or at mm-hmm. least not let my limiting factor be my fitness or my capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I used fitness to really train for performance. And, and really, that's, that's what adaptive training has a similar lens to look at because we're not trying to get great at movements in the gym. We're not trying to just get really big biceps and big shoulders so that you look really good uh, when you're just hanging out. Not at all. It's actually quite the opposite. What we're doing is creating general physical preparedness, GPP, in the gym setting because of its transference to real world tasks, real life scenarios, especially for people with varying abilities, people that have some sort of physical limitation present. If we can look at that movement, how that movement is uh, portrayed or seen out in the real world, whether it's picking something up off the ground, putting something up on the shelf, putting something in the cabinet, transferring out of your chair uh, into the bed, onto the toilet. These are practical, foundational functional movements for individuals to operate efficiently, mm-hmm. effectively out in the world. So once we have that understanding of like the picture of which we're looking at fitness and how we're trying to develop a training program, 
Then we can look at current movement and what people do already in the gym. Squats, deadlifts, burpees, push-ups, all these things. Really compound, functional, foundational movements that have a lot of transference for able-bodied folks. And we can identify within major uh, impairment categories, we can identify some common themes, common movements that do the exact same thing, lend itself towards a lot of uh, a lot of development and um, versatility outside of a gym space. And for myself, being a upper extremity amputee above elbow, I recognized a lot of imbalances that were going to happen, a lot of compensation in the upper body and muscle atrophy. You know, this left side, my left side will never be as strong and defined as my right side. Mm -hmm. But over the past really almost 10 years, it's been a, a large focus, an intentional focus to develop and strengthen this side and doing so through functional movements, movements that allow me to be able to incorporate uh, my residual limb, my impaired side when appropriate. Um, it was all of that, those exploratory years of finding solutions, finding ways, developing real principles and practical methods that can then be applied to all sorts of sorts of varying abilities. Um, and uh, that sort of started me on developing the curriculum so I could train other trainers, other therapists, other coaches so that they could have the adaptive and inclusive certification knowledge so that they felt confident and comfortable working with anyone on any ability. And that job, that career, that path is what led me to Peloton discovering me uh, in my own fitness and, and brought me here. So that's why we've created the standing and the seated content. Mm -hmm. It's a way to look at our offerings of adaptive training through a universal lens where within those two categories, you identify yourself as a standing athlete or a seated athlete. Our seated right. athletes perform most tasks in a seated position, live their life in a seated position. Our standing athletes perform most tasks in a standing position. Could be neuromuscular, could be lower limb amputation, upper extremity amputation, uh, but you perform most tasks standing. So now in the class, I'm able to have a general understanding of the population, the audience I'm working with. And then I provide you technique, points of performance, modifications for all of the variations that might fit within a standing individual or a seated individual in the movements we'll see in classes. Right. I was going to ask, like, is it very individualized? How can, you know, like that group setting be individualized for different types of Yeah, you know, exactly. That's the art to abilities. it. That's the, that's the real... Um, fun part on the Peloton platform is where we get to look at not the person, but look at the consideration of the audience on the other side of that camera. And for adaptive training, the consideration of that audience has to be very intentional and very specific. So what makes this unique with what I'm offering on the platform is I am appealing to a lot of different variations and I'm showing a lot of different modifications and adaptive techniques, which right. aren't two different things. Like we may modify, modifying and scaling are more synonymous and adapting is a different term. A lot of the times they get interchanged, but we modify and scale because we might not have the strength today. We might not have the conditioning or aerobic capacity today to hit that pace or to hit that load or that movement in that, in the proper points of performance of that movement, mm -hmm. but we adapt when it's not due to being deconditioned or not due to being strong enough, we have some innate uh, native anatomy, physical limitation that requires us to find a different solution, a different right. movement pattern, 
task accomplishment, functional movement theme, or specific stimulus to accomplish that uh, that workout, that task, that movement or exercise. It's more of an, a permanent type of change. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that might sound minor, but that is massive in empowerment. And what it means mm-hmm. to really create in the industry of fitness, to, to create a place where you belong. Because it's it's fine. We could say, yes, if it's squats and you're in a wheelchair, please do dips, go to dips. That's great. But if we explain why that is and what the transference of dips is for a seated athlete in the way that squats are for a standing athlete, you start to really put the why behind the movements and why you select the movements yeah. and understanding why we're selecting what we're doing and when we're doing it and the transference it has outside of just doing that movement creates a ton of empowerment. And frankly, that to me is what allows the mind the brain to hush that negative voice that says, oh, okay, I just did 10 reps. Like, okay, be done now. I uh, mm-hmm. still have 10 more seconds to go, but like, okay, 10 reps is good. No, the voice to me, when you understand the why and, and the transference this could have and the reason that we're doing it, now you might find a reason and justify a reason to push through a little bit more, mm-hmm. to, to hush that voice of saying, I'll oh, just take it easy and choose to do the hard thing, push past what you feel comfortable doing right now, because that is in the core of what we're doing in fitness, how you become more than who you are. That's all we're doing in fitness and exercise. We're literally becoming someone else. And I think that is so profound and, and, and powerful. You're becoming more than the person you are right now, today, after you finish your next workout. You already are. Might not look different. It might be one step back in order to go two steps forward because you might finish a workout and be like, I cannot stand up. I can't walk. I can't mm-hmm. crawl my body. I'm, I'm cussing Logan out because he just made me do a hundred <laughs> squats or whatever. But it's, it's that path of choosing to do the tough stuff, being consistent with it. And every step back brings you two forwards. And we watch that climb, climb, climb happen. And for, for people with a disability, this is profound. This changes everything. This starts to grasp why um, a side bend deadlift is so great for a seated athlete. The transference that has me to pick up, pick up something off the ground uh, and, and bring functionality and independence to their life to their everyday is, life, yeah. is really the important part. You talked about belonging. Since 2004 and 2022, the fitness space, how has it changed? Has it become more inclusive? Is there more to do? How, how are you viewing it? Yes, unbelievably so. Abs- mm-hmm. Not only in the fitness space, yes, in the fitness space, and I can give you many examples, but yeah. more so societally, culturally, we'll look at where we are. It is badass to be different, to be yeah. physically different, to look different. It is now, the I don't know, I get very fired up thinking about this because it is wild to think about because I, I have a lot of friends, uh, amputation, limb difference friends who are older and hearing their perspective, hearing their insight from what their childhood was like. Congen- I have some congenital friends that are older, meaning they're born that way, um, limb difference. And to hear how they their childhood was. And frankly, that might be a big part of my perspective, too, because I didn't lose mine until 13. And right. kids can be really mean sometimes in ways right. that they don't mean to be at all. But it can yeah. affect you in a big way. And I didn't realize that. But then through talking to these older folks and friends of mine uh, and how much those young adolescent impressions made an impact on them and how they saw themselves and how they did, they thought less of themselves. And now I think we're so aware and we understand the power of these words and the power of kids interacting with each other 
that it's kind of in a, in a situation now where I think like we have flipped the script on what it means to not only be an amputee, but to be physically different. It is now your superpower. Uh, I truly believe that it is a superpower for most. We just now need to re, we need to change the narrative in the mind of the individual and say, and, and show that representation matters most. Like seeing people elsewhere is important. And that's mm-hmm. some of the messages I get being a Peloton instructor now or from uh, members with their kids, able-bodied kids, you know, yeah. and not no adaptive needs, but kids, they, they used to never, okay, mom's in there doing her crazy workout with the, the, t- the screen yelling at her. And now the kids would walk by and say, where's his arm? What's going on? And then the parent could say, well, yeah, this is actually, you know, someone missing their arm. They can do this stuff as well. This is Logan. He lost it when he was 13 in a boating accident. And he can still do all the workout. And now the kid is standing there in the room like, I want to do this workout. And then they're trying to do it too. And these are stories that I did not realize would be so impactful or make uh, what I hope to be an impact on the development in the next generation. Because I think we're normalizing a lot of ways to see someone who looks different. And I think that's uh, that's what the platform is doing. It's putting me in the living room of millions of people. Right. And the reach is letting wild. an amputee be in front of them, letting uh, their kids uh, being able to tell that story, not in a grocery store or not at the pool when they say, mommy, why does that person not have their leg or where is this? All? You know, which can be embarrassing for the parent. I encourage those moments. I freaking love those moments. I live for those moments. I'm like, oh my God, a shark got me in the pool. Don't get in. I freak him out. But I, I uh, think that there is a really big shift happening and um, people being proud of who they are, comfortable in their skin. And, and I hope I can be a really small part in sharing that message, getting more folks to just be confident and proud of who they are, regardless yeah. of ability. It's amazing. I, yeah, I, I agree with you that Peloton is just has so much reach all over the world. And just like, ha, it definitely must make an impact just like, just to, for people to see something different, right? And I, I'm sure also social media over the course of time has, like you said, children who are on it, and they may feel like they're alone. They see so, like, oh, somebody's like me, and they're doing all these amazing things. You know, life doesn't have to be what I thought it was. Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so I need to know, as we wrap up, I need to know what your Guinness World Records are. Like, what are they for? And Oh my gosh. How did you get them? (laughs) Yeah, that is such a good question and a funny, (laughs) funny story. Wow. Okay, so where do I begin? Those were... Yeah, okay. uh, Um... (laughs) I was living in Raleigh. Uh, I was doing some stuff. Some I knew some folks at Reebok real well, and okay. uh, you know, competing in the functional fitness space. They had a functional fitness shoe, a CrossFit shoe called the Nano, and they hit me up two days before this event. They said, "Logan, how many one arm, one leg pushups can you do?" And I was like, "I've never done a one arm, one leg pushup." Oh, so wow. I literally, like, we were like this. I read the email and I got down on the ground. Yeah. And I did like 30 and mm-hmm. I got back up and I was like 30 and then, <laughs> and then sent the email and they're like, great. Would you like to uh, come to, to Brooklyn? I want to fly you to New York uh-huh. with a bunch of other athletes. And we want to give you the opportunity to set a Guinness book of world records for most one arm, one leg pushups <laughs> in one minute. And if they're, if you're open to this other record, you're, you're welcome to try 
Um, this is such a weird You're record. welcome to try. <laughs> You're welcome to try. Uh, in one minute, total weight lifted on a barbell with one arm. And the lift is a clean. So it's from taking the barbell from the ground to your shoulders standing all the uh -huh. way up. Uh, total amount of total weight in one minute. So I was like, yeah, for sure. Let me do that. I love a barbell. I love train. I love cleans. That's my jam. I watched, so. I watched a video of you cleaning, cl cleaning, not like cleaning with, with the barbell. And I literally, yeah. when you dropped it, I go, holy shit. Like I can't <laughs> believe that's insane. I Thanks. don't even understand the science. Like, Listen, how I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. It doesn't make sense. I am, I weigh 165 pounds. Impressive. I should not be able to put 225 pounds over my head like that. Uh, kind of scary, but anyway, yeah, I, uh, I couldn't believe that. But um, <laughs> so he emailed you. <laughs> yes, emailed me. I went to the event. Uh, the push-ups. Oh my gosh! So the only record I still I don't have the push-up record anymore. Oh. Someone else. Someone else. Beat. And this, I am very competitive. So like, <laughs> this is actually hard to talk about. Like, this really <laughs> makes me want to be like Guinness World Record. Come back out here. I will crush it. So yeah, it, 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 to my justification, I thought. Three, two, one, go in one minute. I thought you had, you could not stop. I thought like as soon as that other foot touched the ground, it was like, oh, that's all the push-ups you could do. So I thought you had to do them like, you know, uh, unbroken as they say, yeah. like keep going as many as you can do in one minute. Mm -hmm. So I got to 25 by 30 seconds in, and then I could only get one more rep before I was just completely smoked. Like my shoulder, yeah. because I did, I went so fast, I went boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. To get 25 in the first 30 seconds, I only got one more rep. By by second 35, I got 26, and I put my foot down, and I was like, "Oh, that's all I could do." And the the judge guy was standing there with the clock still waiting, and I look at him, and he's like, still looking at the clock waiting, and he's like, "Is that all you can do?" And I was like, "I mean, yeah." I put my foot down. He was like, "Well, you could go to the end of the minute," and then oh. he, the minute ended, and I was like, "What? Why didn't you tell me that? I didn't know." So. <laughs> Anyways, it's the just rules. the competitive <laughs> nature of me. I, I could have gotten well over 30 or something. Uh, but, but you still got the record at I that got, time. I got the record. I beat the previous record. So I got that record. What was the one before you? It was like 21 in a, in the minute. Oh and then you got 25 and 30 sec. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I did 26 total. If I would have been strategic, you know, and this would have been like the real, this would have been You've the been real way to it. geek out about <laughs> it. I would have done like two reps every five seconds, you know, for amount of time, you know, whatever. But so that was a, a fun one to do. And then the barbell one, the bar I do still have that record. I am in the book. If you get the book of Guinness World Record, both of them are listed, but technically the push-up one has been beat. I have been exceeded on that one. But the barbell one is still legit. I still hold that one. And and I think I could I think I could hold a lot more barbell one on barbell That's records. That's amazing. No, that was just a fun thing. That was not at all a goal. It wasn't on my rate. It's not something I wanted to do. Super honored, thankful that I got to do it. Super cool that we can talk about it. And that's something that I yeah. did. But it was literally like, I got an email on a Monday, did that on a Wednesday. I was back home on a Thursday. Like, what just happened? Did I just do that? So mm -hmm. uh, kind of forget that I even did that. Sometimes. And the email, that's a really funny anecdote. How many can you do? I don't know, 30. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just dropped down and did it. And then, no. yeah. So that is, that's very inspiring and motivating. Um, well, Thanks. thank you so much, Logan, for joining me on the show today. Where can people find your classes on Peloton? Where can they follow you? Please give us all the details. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a blast. I appreciate it. On the Peloton platform, all you need is the app. Uh, the great thing yeah. about my classes, I'm a strength instructor. Um, so all you need is uh, your phone, a tablet, a TV screen or something. Uh, we can get started. We can get going, uh, getting after it. And um, 
I have adaptive content. If you go on that app, we have a, a tab called collections. That's where all of our specific programs are. And that's where all of my adaptive content is and will continue to be. Uh, in the future, we'll see adaptive content, accessibility content put in there that is in strength training and is in other modalities as well. So that'll be where all adaptive content can live on the Peloton platform. But also, I am very much a able-bodied instructor. So I teach able-bodied classes. So if you've got all your arms and legs, come, come get it. Let's go. <laughs> Meet me on the strength platform. We get after it. At least that's the feedback. I'm all about intensity. Intensity is that relative secret ingredient that is different for each one of us, but the special sauce that really dictates results, uh, maximizes your return on your effort, your energy, your time spent. So uh, I bring a lot of intensity to my strength classes. Get re- get ready to have a, a high heart rate and I'm sweat. Scared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, join me. Let's go. Let's get after it. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at all, my last name, first name, Aldridge Logan uh, on social and uh, continue to put stuff out there talking about new classes, new programs we have coming out on the platform um, and more, you know, just adaptive content, how to do things. That's awesome. Well, thank you again thank for you, sharing Erin. your this story. Yeah, all of it. It was awesome to talk to you. And that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'll be back this Thursday to answer all your dear DST questions. You can send them DST at Betches.com. You can call them in for the DST hotline, 212-287-5650. You can follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow. You can follow me at Aileen. You can follow Logan at Aldridge Logan. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.